I have the advantage, Ron, of having a microphone strapped to my face so I don't even have to look for it, you know? Uh, grateful for that. That's a, can't lose it when it's on my head. Um, grateful for so many people that serve in so many, uh, so many different ways uh, throughout the church. Many of you will be asked in one way or another as fall ministries get started to serve, and I thank you for those who have already and will yet uh, say yes and, and be willing to serve in those ways. We get served by so many people all the time in the life of the church. I just thought I'd point out one out really quick because so usually the people doing projection in the back making these slides go, you only notice if they do their job wrong. Uh, but uh, they serve the church extremely well. And Abby Risky has been doing it for like three or four years. She's going to college later this month. So this is her last time doing it. And so I'm just thankful for the faithful, uh, skillful ways that she's served the church over the last years in doing that. Uh, and she's just like one of many people that just serve in quiet, people don't even know they're doing it kind of ways. So uh, thank you for doing that. Um, I'm thankful that one of the things I get to do in the church is to preach. And uh, over my 10 years here, there have only been a couple of times where I've had two Sundays of not preaching in a row. I just had five Sundays of not preaching in a row, and I'm itchy. Uh, I'm ready to get back. I'm grateful for all those uh, who opened up the Word and preached, but I'm glad that we now, after a month in June of going through our mission and vision, and then a month in July of having different missions partners here, opening our eyes up to the work that God's called us to to make disciples in all nations, I'm glad we get to go back to our regular pattern, just walking through a book of the Bible verse by verse. When we left off in May, we got through the end of Luke chapter 5. That means today we pick it up in Luke chapter 6. If you're like me and many other Christians, we are concerned when we look at the world around us. It seems like the world has lost its moral compass. Like in the world, it's hard for people to understand, it seems, like the difference between right and wrong, the difference between good and bad. We're also concerned, not just when we look at the world, but we look at the ways in which the world creeps into the church, right? And so, so the way that the church is thinking and the way that the church is behaving often looks way too much like the way the rest of the world is thinking and behaving. These are real concerns that we have. Back in the first century, so we're reversing 2,000 years now, at the time of Jesus, there were a small group of people living in the Middle East who looked at the people and the world around them and had the very same concerns. This group of people called the Pharisees were concerned that the world around them was a moral mess. And they were concerned that it seemed to them that God's people didn't do a whole lot better. That they had God's law available to them, but many of them just disregarding it and living however they wanted to live and thinking much like the pagan nations around them. And so the Pharisees were rightly concerned about what was happening then in the first century. This small group had an honorable aim. Let's help God's people get back under the authority of God's Word. However, in the process, as they tried to be very specific, there were, there were commands in God's Word that they wanted to make more specific and more clear, and, and over time they began to basically add to the Word of God. Scared of the liberalism that they saw in their day, they became legalists on the other side. 
In their zeal to obey and adhere to God's law, they began adding extra rules to God's law. Their antenna were up, and they were ready to snuff out any influential leader that they thought might move people further away from God's law. Well, along comes Jesus. And it seems to them like he's not on their team. He seems like a threat to them. And controversy has been ramping up. So you might not recall from back in May, but when we left off, there were three passages in a row where controversy was building between the Pharisees on one side and Jesus on the other. It began when Jesus declared himself to be the Son of Man who has authority to forgive sins. At that point, they were just thinking in their heads, "Uh uh-uh, that sounds like blasphemy. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and talked to them about it. That's followed up by, by a second controversy. That is, Jesus was found to be eating with tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees, who are concerned about the direction everybody's going, they're like, oh, everybody's becoming like tax collectors and sinners. They're sellouts and sinners, and now Jesus is hanging out with them. He needs to be stopped. And so they didn't have the guts yet to talk to Jesus directly. They go and grumble to Jesus' disciples about this. And then they continue to watch and observe, and they notice Jesus' disciples are not observing the fasts spelled out for them in the law. Instead, while others are fasting, they're feasting, and they're upset about that. So you see the controversy just beginning to ramp up. And and Jesus, now in that third controversy, they actually talk directly to Jesus. So so the confrontation just continues uh, to uh, go up as well along with the controversy. Now in today's passage, we're going to see controversies number four and five. The thing that ties them together is they both take place on the Sabbath. If you're familiar with the Old Testament... You're familiar that one of the Ten Commandments is to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Following the pattern of God who who worked in creation six days and took a day of rest, His people were to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. To rest from their work on one day in order that they might enjoy and be reminded that God is their provider. Well, this was a good gift from God, but in today's passage we will see that the eyes of the Pharisees were so focused on Sabbath law and their additions to it that they totally missed the Lord to whom the whole law pointed. Their legalism prevented them from seeing the Lord. And so I'm going to argue as well that Jesus is Lord still today and we better not let legalism keep us and others from seeing and submitting to Jesus. So if you're able to, Please stand. I will read the very Word of God. I'm going to pray first, then I'll read the Word, and then we'll look through it verse by verse. Father, we need your help now. I need your help now. Um, Wherever our minds are at, we, we want them to be drawn to your Word. By your Holy Spirit, help us to see your Son for your glory Help us to see sin in our own hearts. Help us not to be like the Pharisees who look at others and say, I'm glad I'm not like them. Help us not to look at the Pharisees and say, I'm glad I'm not like them. I pray that even now, by your Holy Spirit, you would convict us in such a way that we would see ways in which we can become like Pharisees. That we might be corrected in order that we might see Jesus today. 
Now, I can't accomplish that by my words, but you can accomplish that by your Spirit working through my words, so I pray that you would do that now, even as we read your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 6, 1-11, God's Word says this, On a Sabbath, while He was going through the grain fields, His disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him? And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered, and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Inside your bulletin there is a spot to take sermon notes if that's helpful for you. You notice there this passage just splits into two sections. Both of them take place on the Sabbath, which in the Jewish world was sundown Friday to sundown on Saturday. There's two controversies here, and the first one begins right off the bat in verse 1. It's a controversy that sparked when on the Sabbath day, Jesus' disciples are going through the grain fields, and they're doing what is lawful. Deuteronomy 23-25 says uh, that, that God's people, as they're going past the fields of others, Uh, If they're in need, they can go ahead and just take some grain and eat that for themselves. So they're just having a little Sabbath snack, but the Pharisees see them doing this and think this constitutes working on the Sabbath, therefore breaking the Sabbath. Therefore, they say in verse 2 this, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? So they confront them. Now, what Jesus does in verses 3 and 4 is he doesn't quote to them Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25, and say, see, this is okay, this is acceptable by the law. Instead, he takes them back to an account from 1 Samuel. And he tells them, uh, reminds them, well, he kind of does it in a bit of a confrontational way, when, when he says, have you not read what David did? Now remember, these are, these are kind of like the Bible thumpers of their day. They prided themselves on knowing and obeying God's law. And so when he says to them, have you not read? They're probably already a little bit like, oh, of course we've read that. Yeah, we know that story. And he tells them the story of a time when David and his men were in need. They were hungry and food was available. Uh, they're at, they're, they're the bread of the presence, which was only supposed to be eaten by the priests. And so David helped himself and his men to this food. And Jesus brings this up as an example of a time when a physical need trumped kind of a violation of 
the law at the time. But then, before we even hear any answer from them, Jesus just ramps it up in verse 5 with a bold, courageous, confrontational kind of statement. When he says to them, and he said to them, look at verse 5, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. First of all, what does he do? He calls himself the Son of Man. We already heard him use this phrase back in chapter 5, verse 24, and here he uses it again. It's a statement of Jesus' identity and his authority. Back in Daniel chapter 7, we are told of one who is going to come. The Old Testament prophesied about one who is to come, who is to be the Son of Man, who will have an eternal kingdom and dominion given to him. This future kingly figure who will have eternal dominion. And here Jesus says to the Pharisees, the Son of Man, referring to himself, is the Lord of the Sabbath. That's the second controversial statement that he makes. To these people who had taken Sabbath law and elevated it so high, adding some of their own rules to it, making sure that they and everybody they saw was faithful to keep Sabbath law, this is their concern. And here comes Jesus and says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. His superiority is above the Sabbath, right? So, so the Sabbath is not master of Him. He is master. He is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus does not back down in the face of controversy. He seems to go out of His way to declare who He is. His authority. I am Son of Man and I am Lord of the Sabbath. Now, this would ruffle their feathers. But we're not told here in Luke how they responded. Instead, Luke goes immediately to another account of another thing that happened on another Sabbath day. And that's point number two. We heard in this first section, Jesus declare his lordship as the Son of Man, Lord of the Sabbath. And now in verses 6 through 11, we're going to see Jesus display his authority and his Lordship. So let's look at verses 6 through 11. First, the setting. Look again at verses 6 and 7. It's another Sabbath. And it says in verse 6, He entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. We've already seen in the Gospel according to Luke that Jesus is frequently healing people with various kinds of infirmities. Right? So, so you see attention being set up here, especially when we read verse 7, and it says this, And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. So you get the picture. Jesus is there teaching, and the tension is this. It was allowable in that day, on a Sabbath day, for medical treatment to be given to somebody in a life-threatening situation. But if the situation wasn't life-threatening, like a man with a withered hand, the practice would have been, let's wait and do that when it's not the Sabbath day. 
But the tension is set up here. And Jesus, it says, is teaching in the synagogue. Remember, they sat in the synagogue when they did their teaching. So I just have this picture of Jesus sitting there. And we got verse 7 saying the scribes and Pharisees, they were just waiting to catch him. So you kind of get this picture. Of like, I don't think they're taking sermon notes. Right? They're not really paying all that much attention probably to what Jesus is saying because they're just waiting to catch him. They see the man over here with the withered hand and they see Jesus there and they're like, I can imagine like squinting eyes like looking back and forth like, oh, we're so going to catch him. I, he can't resist. I know. He's got this heart for these poor, vulnerable, sick people. He's going to do something. We're going to catch him and then, then, then we've got a reason uh, to punish him. Right? That's what they're waiting for. They're just there waiting. Some of you, you, you've been on the receiving end of feeling a, a Pharisee-like person who's just like watching you closely and waiting for you to slip up. Right? And you might, if you're in that situation, you might find a, a way to kind of like avoid the judgmental eye of that person. You might find a way to distance yourself from that person. But that's not what Jesus does. What does Jesus do? Does he back down? Does he keep on teaching and tell that guy after the synagogue gathering of that day, hey, come back tomorrow and I'll heal you and there won't be any controversy? Oh no. What does Jesus do? Look at verse 8. Verse 8, we see what Jesus did, does. He displays his authority. Verse 8, but he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. We see the power of Jesus at first in just he knows their thoughts. He knows what they're thinking. He can see them looking back and forth. He can see their squinting eyes. He knows what they attempt to do here. And so he, he knows their thoughts. And then he asks the man, Come and stand here. Right? This is a bold move by Jesus, and it's a bold step of faith by this man. He's obeying Jesus. Jesus says to come and stand, and this man in faith, knowing he's probably getting himself in a, a sticky situation, comes and stands before Jesus. Will Jesus heal him? The tension in the room is thick. Look at verse 9. Jesus isn't going to heal him right away. Note what Jesus does. You would think that Jesus says to the man, come and stand here, and immediately when the man comes and stands, Jesus heals him. That's not what Jesus does. Look at verse 9. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or destroy it? Who does Jesus address? Not the man with the withered hand. He addresses the Pharisees. He, he again, boldly confronts them and the answer to his question should be obvious, but it doesn't fit into their legalistic, warped worldview, so they don't have an answer. I wonder if when Jesus is asking this question, if they have the guts to like lock eyes with him in a little stare down, or if these men kind of like quickly put their heads down, like they can't even stand his gaze and they know the answer to the question, but they can't say it. Right? So you feel the tension in the room, and then we get to verse 10. In verse 10 it says, And after looking around at them, it seems to be silent, nobody to answer his question. After looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. 
and he did so, and his hand was restored. Now, this act of compassion and power on Jesus' part is going to change this man's life forever. But the focus here in this account is not really on this man. The focus is on Jesus and the Pharisees and the brewing controversy between them that is now about to hit a fever pitch. Now you see Jesus, act of compassion, and a man with a withered hand is now completely restored. You might think that the people watching this are going to be in awe, are going to listen more closely to what he has to say, might even submit to him as Lord, but that is not the reaction of the Pharisees. Jesus, the Lord, in all of His power, standing right in front of them, in all of His mercy and compassion, standing right in front of them. And how do they respond? Look at verse 11. And the Pharisees, but they were filled with fury. Filled with fury. The word that I looked that up is actually like a word that we could be more literally translated, mindless rage. They were filled with mindless rage. Or you might say, they lost their ever-loving minds, right? Like, this is, this is what's going on. Like, their, their emotional state, like their blood pressure has just spiked. This was the moment they were waiting for. They were waiting for Jesus to do something like this, that they might accuse Him. And so, they are filled with fury, and then their action, they start discussing what they might do t- to Him. I mean, think about it. Again, trying to have sympathy for these these Pharisees, they feel like Israel is headed in the wrong direction, and this guy is about to take them even further away. And their eyes, at this point, are so fixated on the law that they missed an opportunity to see and submit to the Lord. By leaning into legalism, they failed to look to the Lord. Now, I started out the sermon today by drawing a parallel between the first century and the 21st century. I pointed out that the Pharisees saw the moral mess in the world around them. They were concerned that God's people were ignoring God's law and failing to live holy and set apart lives in obedience to God. And I would point out, too, that in the 21st century, here in the United States of America, we feel many, in many cases the same way. The world around us seems to be like a moral mess, and we're concerned about the way that that is infiltrating the church. How the church are often people failing to live faithful and obedient lives set apart for God in obedience to His Word. Right? So we have some sympathy for the Pharisees and where they're at. And I think we need to be warned from a passage like this of the tendency or the temptation that we all would face then to becoming Pharisee-like. And my encouragement to us in application today is simply this. Let's not become like Pharisees who add something to God's Word in an attempt to make it more clear. Let's not become like Pharisees spending our time not looking to the Lord but just watching others making sure they're doing the right thing and waiting for them to slip up. 
People have whole ministries sometimes focused on taking a particular application of a non-essential doctrine and, and then using that to judge everybody else and waiting, especially for a Christian celebrity or author to slip up, right? And we're going to watch him. We're going to catch him. We're going to catch him. Watch out for this guy. And so there's this general sense of fear and mistrust that comes because we do see a liberalizing tendency in our world and we want to be extra careful so we start to add some extra rules. If you've been a parent before, you recognize even the tendency for this in us. Like if we see that we have some general principles we expect our kids to live by, and as they start pushing the boundaries and going beyond them, our tendency is going to be, all right, let's bring it in tighter. Right? So that's what the Pharisees are doing here. Now certainly... If someone is teaching an essential doctrine, right? So something the Bible is super clear on that is central to our faith, and somebody's teaching something different, becoming more liberal in their teaching, we need to point them out, right? We need to confront and contest with them on that as we hold firm to the gospel once for all delivered to the saints. If somebody's teaching that you can be saved in some other way than through faith alone in Christ alone, we confront that. If somebody is teaching that there is no such thing as heaven or hell, or maybe at least they don't teach that there's such a thing as hell, we need to confront that, right? So, so we're, we're, we're wanting to confront those things, but we need to be careful that if somebody doesn't share, say, your view of the end times, like your pre-mill, pre-trib understanding of the end, end times timeline of events, that we don't throw that person then under the bus. Some of us are just more, by nature, critical, skeptical, distrusting. Maybe you're a rule follower. Some of you out there, you're like, you like having rules and you like to follow them and you like to make sure everybody else is following them. And when they don't, it really bothers you. Right? And rules are, are good, certainly a very good thing. It's good, even necessary, for us to have our antenna up to notice any kind of tendencies uh, where people would be drifting off into some sort of teaching that contradicts what Scripture is teaching. Some sort of living that flies in the face of what God's people are supposed to do. But we need to be careful that we don't you know, kind of quickly turn the other direction and become hypersensitive and start adding all of these extra requirements because we're fearful of what's happening over on this end. We can be so focused on doing everything right and making sure that everyone else is too, that we miss the main thing. So before I was going to be a pastor, I was going to be an elementary school teacher. I spent a lot of time in elementary school classrooms. And if you want to think of like a stressful place to work, but also a funny place to work, right? I mean, those of you that are elementary school teachers, like kids are funny sometimes. Uh, and so, so one of the things that I always got a kick out of in an elementary school classroom is when the teacher gives an instruction, maybe there's a special speaker there for that day or something like that, and, and so there's special instruction to the class. Listen, what this person has to say is very important, so I need you all to you know, be, be really quiet uh, and not making any noise while this person shares with us. Right? Okay, so that's a good instruction from the teacher. And the person starts talking, and there's a couple kids making a little noise. And then you've got one or two kids. Sometimes they're teacher's kids. Not always, but often they're teacher's kids, right? Uh, and, and those kids start to go, shh, 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 shh. She said to be quiet. Shh, shh, shh. And they spend the whole time telling everybody else to be quiet, and they miss the whole thing of what everybody's supposed to be quiet in order to hear. 
right? That's kind of what I see happening with the Pharisees and what can happen with us. That we're so busy focused on watching ourselves and making sure everybody's doing it just right and following just the right rules that we fail to hear and see the main thing. If we're honest, many of us have some pharisaical tendencies in us. And as the world gets wackier and wackier, and we get more and more concerned about it, there's a temptation to just look at all of that, and we miss the main thing. So I think it's good to just be made aware of the possibility that as we see parts of our culture and parts of the church kind of turning towards the ditch of liberalism, that we don't in fear just grab the wheel and flip over to the other side and end up in the ditch of legalism, which is what the Pharisees have done. And in the process, they've missed just getting our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus, who is the Christ. That's the tragedy of this passage. The Pharisees, so consumed by legalism that they failed to see Jesus. And I would say, may God protect us from that. As we see the liberalizing drift in the culture and the church, may we offer a corrective. But may the corrective not be legalism. And in the process, helping ourselves and others to miss looking at the Lord Jesus, who is the Christ. So where do we see the gospel in today's passage? We see a warning there, but I want to point us to where we see the gospel as I close. You can see it in different places, but I think it's in a contrast between the Pharisees and the man with the withered hand. What's the difference between the Pharisees and the man with the withered hand? The Pharisees were so focused on the law that they rejected the Lord. But the man with the withered hand, he was very aware of his need. Right? And so when the Lord Jesus says, come and stand here, the man stands up and comes and stands there. When the man responded to Jesus by stretching out his hand in faith, he was immediately, instantly restored. And so we just should ask ourselves, which am I? Am I the Pharisee who works hard to be good, to follow all the rules, to do what is right and make sure everybody else is doing that, but in the process I have failed to recognize how greatly I need the Savior. In the story of the prodigal son, am I more like the elder brother who says to the father, well, I've, I've, I've been with you the whole time. I've been following your, I've been obeying you the whole time. Why do you throw a party for this one? Or are you the man who knows that he's broken and knows that Jesus is his only hope? Pharisees, try really hard to obey God's law perfectly. But you know one thing that every Pharisee and every other human being, Pharisee or not, has in common? They all failed. The good news is that the one who came, the one who was teaching them in the synagogue that day, is the Lord who we're going to sing here in a moment, is the true and better Adam. The one human who came along and perfectly obeyed and fulfilled God's law. All of the law, in fact, was pointing ahead to Him. But their eyes were so fixed on the law that they missed the Lord. May that not be true of us. May we hear the good news that Jesus perfectly obeyed the law in our place and that He came to die on the cross in the stead of ruined sinners like us. 
May we recognize that the ruined sinners are us. We're not the people who have it all together and if, like, we're, we're, we're kind of like the, the police who are, are making sure everybody else is following the rules like we are. We're the people who recognize, oh, I know what I need. I need Jesus. We need God's help to protect us from that. We're going to sing a song to prepare us for communion, but before we do that, let's, let's go to God in prayer together. Father, I pray that you just forgive us, forgive me for letting a Pharisee-like pride and legalism get in the way sometimes of just seeing my need and helping other people to see their need of a Savior. To keeping myself and others from just seeing and submitting to the Lord and trusting in Him. I'm really thankful that our salvation does not depend on our perfect righteousness, but on that of Christ. Thank you that He became fully human and lived and died as our representative and substitute. And I pray that those here today who are trusting in their own self-righteousness would be convicted. And that they would put their trust in Jesus, who lived, who died, who rose and who is coming again. And for all of us who do trust in Jesus, guard us from that kind of self-righteousness. Give us the courage to confront liberal drifts that we would, when people are teaching something and living contrary to what your word clearly says, help us to be bold and courageous like our Savior was in confronting that. But help us also to be bold and courageous like our Savior was in confronting legalism those who would add to your word, those who would draw attention away from Jesus by looking so closely at the law and ethics and behavior that they miss the Lord. God, protect us from all of this. We know that you do that as we get our eyes fixed on Jesus. So even as we prepare for communion through singing a song, would you help us to fix our eyes on Jesus now? In his name we pray. Amen. If you're able, please stand.